0: welcome to the george lynch hunting podcast brought to you by legendary gear the game call company that is legend by design you can check us out at legendarygearusa.com that's legendarygearusa.com i'm george lynch i'm the host and the guys out there starts before the season even gets here for this is my first year of actually uh, using food plots and being able to put in a food plot i've always hunted the food sources what i could but moving out here to iowa about seven eight years ago I very I really learned the importance of what food plots and basically you know not as much in the early season but how much they sustain to keeping the deer on your on your property especially in the late season. So if you're you know if you want to go after what big buck made it through the muzzle loading or made it through the bow season and shotgun seasons you know you got to have the food source you got to have the cold weather to help it make it conducive to the food source if you don't have the cold weather then it's pretty tough but with cold weather you got to have the food source so this is our first year we we did some um work on our property this year we actually put a pretty good sized pond 30 foot deep pond in and we had probably four or five acres that uh, we took a woods out and um and maybe a little bit more but we had a special blend of grass seed by Quality Ag here, a local, local company that uh, blended up a special mix for our horses. And they spread that all through our grass. And it started to germinate and it's growing up. And the deer are ready just that quick. If, if You know, I, I didn't have a camera up this summer. Normally I'll have something and some food source of some type or a mineral to you know, try to get pictures of the, the bucks that are coming in this fall. And this year, because of the busy of the new... Our new business with Legendary Gear and it's taken off and you know I'm doing all the tuning and all the designing. We're staying busy and and um, which is a good thing, but I just didn't have the opportunity to get there and try to get cameras up like I normally do. And you know cameras is just awesome to see what you got in your area and what's upcoming and and uh, we didn't have that opportunity. So you know we didn't have I didn't see too many uh, activity of deer on the property this year. Uh, There was a doe and a couple of fawns from, actually they weren't fawns, they were yearling deer from last year uh, drop that were on the property. Basically, that's all we saw. And and I think there was another mature doe, but that was basically all I saw all summer. Didn't see a horn. I I did see, I did see one uh, about a month ago. I saw a decent 10 point, probably 120 inch deer, you know, walking in our backyard into our garden. That's been it. And we put a food plot in. after we put the pond and had the uh, grass planted on the backside, we uh, bulldozed and put a food plot in. It's kind of more at the uh, center of the property. And uh, Domain this year, I'm using Domain's Big and Sexy, which is radishes, turnips, and kale. And I believe, let's see what else is in there. It has turnip, radish, kale, and forage rape to attract deer all fall and winter so i've got that spread in there with a little bit of chickpeas that we put in there because i'm trying to really want to get the the turkeys to hold and give them something to to stay through the winter into the spring but uh, the food plot once that started taking hold and it take long we've had a drought here i mean two months without rain and um after i put that that food plot in we kind of waited uh, right before the rain of course that's when the seed the we seeded the grass on the pond but uh, did a lot of work on the food plot heroin heroin back and forth and and then uh, after we had that all bulldozed out and then got it seeded and as we were pulling out of the food plot we started getting our first drops of rain rain for two days which helped get everything germinated and going and just that quick you know with that food plot coming up and, and it's we got uh, the green coming up and then the green of the pond we've gone from seeing you know three deer consistently on the property but right now we've got about 12 to 15 they're constantly coming in so it's drawing and um so we'll see what happens i got uh, also i'm putting domains bad habit i had that on our corn that we were using earlier to to try to get uh, see what was coming in and to get pictures of and You know, once that's established, we'll wait our 30 days for everything's gone on that before we'll even hunt my hunt this year, unless I have something, um, huge coming, but I, I'll probably wait till the last week of October, um, to the first of november before i start getting in there we have our sniper blind that's tucked in and folks if you haven't hunted out of a sniper blind it is uh, i've never hunted out of these elevated uh, platforms whatsoever i've always used tree stands and and climbing sticks to whatever i hunted but getting in the older age and everything and you know i know what you're thinking oh man they stick out and you drive the countryside in any Midwest state, it is an eyesore. You can go all over from missouri to to Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, you know all over you'll see these towers sticking up from the highways, you know that, that I call eyesores. But neat thing about this uh, the cool thing about the sniper blind that mine is set on a trailer type system, and it's elevated. so I can hook this up right to the to my hitch of my truck. I have pulled it down the highway doing 60 miles an hour. The only thing you want to make sure is you check the size of the overpasses that you're going under. But, uh, you know, the neat thing is you can drive this right into your field. You can move it. I can back it right into uh, wherever I want. <clears throat> and once we brush in and thatch all the bottom of the stand, I'm telling you, I've had bucks walk right out into and, and the side of the blind. And it's to, and it's not one of those things that you'd say, well, they have to, you know, they need to get used to it. I have put it in, in in my areas and used it. And, of course, I tuck it back, and I'm using a little common sense. And I try to especially, you know, it's not as much as the front of the blind, which I do around the bottom in that base. I, I'll thatch in that bottom, but it's the backdrop behind you. So uh, I put some stuff on Facebook and some pictures of uh, of the food plot putting in the sniper blind and if you look closely i we cut everything with a chainsaw that was to the, you know to get the blind in there but i left the the branches and everything that's going to be behind it and above it so it blocks that skyline which which really sticks out so if you stick that blind out in the middle of the field of course you know they can skyline that they can see it sticks up it's not natural but tuck it back into the thicket and the branches and uh, and, and brush that in the deer have there's they don't have any clue and you know the wind definitely you know we play the wind and everything but i found really with whether it's a pop-up blind or this you know sniper blind anything encased like that with an ozonix especially it's almost 100 uh windproof You I know, mean, really regarding the wind i don't pay attention like a, even with the ozonix hunting out of a tree stand I've noticed deer will pick that up and get a little little goofy and stuff like that but the neat thing with whether it's a pop-up blind or like the sniper blind the sniper blind is cool is that uh, I can close all the windows so if I have a prevailing wind that's coming from left to right you know on my left side I can close that window and leave the the downwind side open so what it's doing it's blocking that wind and whatever comes through the center you know, can, can will hold that, helps hold that scent into that blind. And then definitely if you put that out with an ozonics, but I, I definitely put it on the light, the very, very light of the ozonics, just to, if there's anything of any molecule whatsoever, human molecule that slips out of that blind, it dissipates it before it hits the deer. But I've never, never have I been winded out of my sniper blind. And I've, like I said, I've had deer all around me. And it's pretty foolproof with the Ozonics and a ground blind, a pop up blind as well. But uh, we're really excited. I've got that tucked in and and, uh, and watching as this food plot is is rising. And I'm really excited to see the difference that we're going to see on the property. Being able to have the food source and um, hopefully we're going to be able to, you know, what like every everybody else. You you want to hold the does, especially when we start getting in that pre rut and those bucks start running the gauntlet and and usually about that third week of October, the first week of November is when you start seeing new bucks pop up in your area. And if you're holding those does and and you're hunting that right and and not over hunting that spot, you know what I'm saying keeping those does in there, you'll definitely who knows what can show up, especially in the state of Iowa. So. What I've always done in the past, and I'm still doing it to this day, and we're getting ready to establish it uh, here this week. But usually I'll start in September. And what I've always used for my drawing uh, when I started in Michigan is I'm, I'm very big in, in mock scrapes and, and scent control. And I'll talk about this um in, in the early season and in the summer months, you know, when I'm going into my areas, I've already established. I know where the, the bedding areas are. I know pretty much, you know, you definitely, the feeding area is very, very easy to f- figure out because you know where the, crop, the, the crops are laying, whether you got corn or beans, whatever. Um, but people have a hard time trying to determine where the bedding area is. And of course, deer can move, and especially does will move different spots, but you get a mature whitetail, they'll pretty much have their predominant uh, bedding spot that they count on and they can be pushed out of there and then they have plan B, but plan A is always pretty easy to figure out and determine. And this can be determined a lot in the uh, early, early spring once the first snow melts, but when I'm walking a property, if it's the first time walking a property, I'm actually looking for deer droppings and I've learned this years ago that when you're walking through a property and and you look down and you see the pellets and you know the deer that that's just a deer taking a crap and and um wherever it feels like and lets it go but when you're if I'm walking especially you'll start finding in the thicker bedding or the thicker cover you'll start finding clumps of poop and that's where the 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 little droppings are all clumped together usually that tells you that i'm very close or i'm in a bedding area and usually that first dump that a deer takes whether it's buck or doe that first dump that they take after laying down for a while they get up and poop whether it's whether you call it constipated or whatever that first clump comes out and it's not in droppings it comes out in one big clump and I was taught that by Roger Rathar, who I consider probably one of the best whitetail hunters, especially bow hunters, that ever walked the face of the earth. I was blessed to Roger took me under his wing uh, years ago. And if you talked to a lot of the old timers and Gene and Barry Winslow right up there with them, you know, Roger was uh, Bill Winky. I tell you, Bill Winky was his neighbor there in Iowa. And, you know, if there's something you want to know about uh, Big Buck habitat movement or behavior, roger was the guy he's wrote a couple books uh white magic and in pursuit of trophy Whitetails. rogers passed away but uh, i was blessed as a young man that he took me under his wing and actually he was the man that got me shooting traditional recurve and and uh, took me to canada got a bear and I, roger's one of those guys and i was at least smart enough because we didn't have youtube but when he talked i would shut up and listen and my brain was a sponge and everything he mentioned, I just would absorb and, you know, it was eating us up. I just couldn't learn enough. And Roger, I was so blessed. And I thank him again, you know, for the time that he s- spent to be courteous and, and share his knowledge and woodsmanship with me. And I've been able to carry that on and, and pass on other young hunters. But, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. And that's one of the things I learned from Roger is how to determine bedding areas. And once you determine this bedding area, to me, it's one of those things that I never stepped in. A deer have to have a sanctuary, no matter where I'm at, that I never step in. If I step in, it's only because I'm dragging a deer out. Uh, if one happens to go in there, that's the only time. They have to, you know, they cannot smell human presence whatsoever going in there. But when I'm, you know, as it gets to the season and I do have to walk the woods, one of the things that uh, because of predation and everything else, we never walk a deer trail. If I'm scouting and I'm looking and here's deer runs all over, a lot of guys will get on that deer run and they'll start following. Well, you know, your scent, especially if it doesn't rain, your scent could stay in there for almost five to seven days on that trail. So when these deer come in, they can tell that and smell that. And because of their uh, ability and the natural instinct to su- try to survive, because they're the ones that's being ate, um, They're being the ones being chased. They get paranoid real quick and they don't like anything, especially I'm telling you big bucks. They just will not they tolerate human intrusion into their sanctuary or into their safe zone. So they'll move, they'll be more hesitant to move out quicker and try to find another area. And it's, to me, it's all based on lack of human scent. So that's why a lot of times, uh, um, and I know there's a lot of controversy with the guy and, and when Michigan with Mitch Rampola and all the big bucks that he killed and the world record whitetail and, all, and I've talked to him a few times. One of the things that did make sense that I always uh, stuck in my mind is that when he does go in his areas, he tries to keep them scent free as possible. And so um, when I walk in, you know, I try to spray down with my rubber boots, rubber boots that I use only in the woods and, and, um, walking back and forth, they don't go to the gas station. They don't wear them when I'm going to the grocery store. These boots only go from the back of my truck or from my, uh, uh, tote from the house to the, to the woods. And I try to spray them down as much as I can. And, um, but anyway, what I also do is I, I am big, I have a pair of, uh, you can get it, whether it's the rain suit or the green coveralls that they're thin, but they're bibs, the rubber bibs that I put on. So I'll wear my rubber bibs along with my rubber boots, which I spray, just spray a little cover scent or your uh, eliminator scent on top of that. But I try as I'm walking in, because if you can imagine, if you're walking through the weeds and everything, you don't realize it, but your pants, your your everything to your side, and you See guys, you know they're spraying the stuff down on scent-free and all that. I I just kind of say that's not really 100% true. You know you can't cover every little spot on your body. And uh, but when like encapsulating everything with the rubber suit, it definitely doesn't have the human scent that's sticking to the brush. So as I'm walking through and and everything that I cut and and everything I'm moving, i even I try to wear rubber gloves. And what I'm trying to do is keep the human scent down and eliminate it as much as possible, even when you're going in and checking trail cams. And if you can't do this, and as you're setting your stands, I even wear it when I'm setting stands. But if you can't do that, then, you know, what I did all the time is that you watch your weather, either I'm gonna set a stand or go in and set and pull a chip on my trail camera just before a rain or during a rain. And the reason we're doing this is it's again, eliminating that scent in the bedroom of that buck. And so as he's coming through, the more relaxed, and that's what we're looking for. I'm, I'm looking for him to be more relaxed, to be able to spend more time undisturbed in, in, this, in a certain area. So once that is established and hanging that stand, I'm, I start my mock scrapes. And I'll tell you what I did. I had a good friend named Rob Gillow from Michigan, and he had a deal with a guy that raised white uh, uh, Whitetails. And they actually had a deal where guys would come in, pay, shoot the whitetail. But they would grow these uh, mature whitetails. And they had stalls, like guys had stalls for horses. But the stalls had concrete, tapered concrete uh, floors that would funnel to the center of the drain, which would catch all the urine and go into a bottle. And I would buy a gallon of this urine, which from their bucks, from Rob. And the only thing I would do is keep it in a refrigerator. And then I used a spray bottle. And one thing I learned from Roger years ago was that deer love fresh dirt, and and he was right. He said if someone builds a or has a pond dug, same way with us here. As soon as we had the pond dug and the dirt, you'd go back the next day and you'd see deer tracks all over that dirt. And one, of, I think one of the great cover scents anyway was the fresh earth smell. And when I go in and I'm making my scrapes and I've watched this, I'll take a, a little spade in a in a hole it, it's actually a spade on one end and it has a claw on the other you can go to Menards or any garden center store and, and pick these up even Walmart I carry it in my little uh, side bag with along with my buck urine and everything my rubber gloves and I also have either a bow you know, little screw-in bow holders and I have a little of the paracord that I keep in there a bundle of the paracord but when I go in and I'm picking out these mock scrapes the, the key to this, you know, is I want to make sure that they're in the prime location. And the prime location is for me, not for the deer as much, but for me. If, if it's, you know, trying to bottleneck because we're hunting with a bow, I'm not being able, you know, I don't like to shoot anything past 30 yards, to be honest with you. If I can get 30, 30 yards inside, preferably that 20 yards inside, I've done my job. And that's, to me, the uh, the idea and, and the purpose as a predator, you know, trying to get as close and I think today with the equipment and everything, everybody, and, and shooting is very important. It's good to practice and know your equipment. But, uh, you know, I, you see a lot of guys talking about shooting 60 and 70 and 80 yards. And I can probably understand that for the Western hunter. But for me and in, in, in my, you know, Gene Wenzel said it one time I thought was a great description, uh, explanation between archery and bow hunting. Archery is how far I can get from the bullseye and hit it and not miss and bow hunting is how close i can get and not miss so that's the kind of difference between bow hunting and archery and uh, so it's kind of being able to blend both those together but 30 yards and in so i'm looking at bottlenecks whatever pinch points anything that could be natural funnels to come through there but what i like to do is i like to and i've done this i've done it in illinois i've done it in ohio and i've done it in michigan and i've done it in iowa here That I've been able to create my pinch points. I've been able to draw the buck movement to where I want it. And it's been with these mock scrapes. And the key to that scrape is the overhanging branch. The busher that branch, and I try to get it four and a half to five foot above the ground. But as bushy as I can get on that, the better. And it's all about scent communication, rubbing the pre That's how they communicate with each other. It's how they establish dominance. You know, they'll yearn through there like a dog who goes to every tire, goes to every hydrant. He's raising his leg and and pissing on that. And he's basically setting a dominance. And each dog will know each dog in the area. And they'll pee over each, keep peeing over the the other dog. So it's kind of what I'm doing with the, uh, with the, um, mock scrape and, and setting but once i find that that scrape that i want now if i've got a bush and what i've talked about when you know having the paracord and the bow string or the bow screw the bow hanger is that if i got a great bushy and a great spot for it but the say the branch is up there and it's and it's a small branch or a small limb that i can move i'll take my uh, extended uh, bow pruner or uh limb pruner and hook that and, and pull it down to where it's about five foot four and a half foot above the ground tie my paracord to it screw my bow hook into the tree and then tie the paracord to that tree and I've actually made that bush and then turn around but the key is underneath that is I would take the spade from my little deal and chop the the probably the top inch of the soil right off till you get to the brown or the black dirt and I'm probably make about the two to two and a half to, and in starting out, it could be just be a two and a half foot spot by two and a half circle, and up to three foot. But I'll just chop that. And the key is getting all that top soil. You know, you watch guys; they'll go under and they'll take a stick and they'll rub it. Man, if you really want to drag the deer to that is chop all that topsoil off, get that black dirt exposed. Then I'll take that rake and I'll just loosen like I'm heroin that, that dirt I'm loosening everything, breaking it up. You'll actually smell that earth smell as it's rising up. And I, if I can smell it, you know the deer can smell it from a ways. I would take Rob's buck pee that I got from him and I would, I like the spray better than the drip and and pouring it out because I think that I can utilize, but that spray, I can spray it and lay that mist on top of all the dirt and then spray that mist. So it hangs all on top of that, at the grass that surrounds that scrape. And here's the key and you're going to think I'm nuts, but I'll spray that buck pee and mist that top overhanging branches with the buck piss. And I just think, again, you know, the deer react from the smell. I've seen more aggression. I've never seen a deer spook off it. I've seen deer spook and bucks spook off of uh, using hanging rags with dough and heat on it and soaking it. And being overbearing, and I've watched bucks downwind smell it and then t- snort and take off. I've yet to watch. I've, you know, my reaction and my experience of watching spraying the overhanging branches as buck urine is watching aggression with the deer with his rock actually tearing into that branch more. And I got a story in, in Southern Illinois that happened once. I'll, I'll relay on that. But that getting that topsoil up and then you know what, just stay away from it. Put your camera up if you want, and I will guarantee you. Um two or three times that I go in and and hit this scrape, you know, I'll guarantee you within three days I'll have a buck, might not be the biggest buck, but I'll have a buck start taking over and hitting my scrapes. And I used to start this in Michigan and I'd go through, and I would start in September. As soon as I knew that those bucks started losing their velvet, that's when their testosterone level, you know, I know that they're they're capable of breeding. The testosterone is dropped as soon as that that uh, velvet is gone. So these bucks are now going to be they're going to be receptive and receptive, I guess, for that you know, smelling any buck that's in their area, especially when it's a new buck that they haven't. They're gonna keep coming back and try to meet this guy who keeps pissing over his piss, you know, and once and the more that the, they get closer to the rut, the more active and more violent I think it's gonna uh, it's gonna be, become. So by doing this starting in September, I've actually, you'll start seeing, I'll get this going once these bucks and I'll make sets of them. Like if I'm hunting in a strand, I'll try to put two scrapes. So if a deer comes in, instead of busting and smelling through, he can turn and he'll go to the second scrape. And usually you try to set it up so it it, uh, offers a broadside shot to that deer using something that is natural to nature and that's using you know their own ways of breeding the breeding uh a cycle of using scrapes and urine and you know it's all natural i'm not sitting here with bait of food or anything like that I'm, I'm using the weakness of their um overpowering urge to want to breed and i'm trying to use that to my favor so again i this buck urine like i said i i've, I've had it for two years I kept it in the refrigerator and watch it still work. I don't leave it out where it gets hot and into the sunlight because I think then it can break down. And then I think it gets too nasty and overbearing where it stinks too much, you know, and whether it turns too much into ammonia. I don't know about that. You know, I'm not a, a biologist. I will say this. In the old days, the old timers in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, I used to talk to them. They used to use Bo Peep Ammonia. To dig, the ski, uh, to dig the dirt and throw the ammonia into the uh, scrape and have deer come just because of the urine smell. I've, I've peed in the ground myself and watched bucks, and especially in the snow, just dig my, my urine and pee right over it. So it all depends on the mood and stuff. But I think, again, what I'm trying to say, urine is a natural. It's not uh, something that's concocted by man. It, it's a natural, and it's a natural cycle of what, how they live and how they react. But, um, I, I'll give it a little story when I was in, in, um, Southern I or Illinois, excuse me, Southern Illinois, we started there. I had a good uh, place that we used to hunt down there. And one of the things that I would do when I would go in is that I would start my mock scrapes and I had an area there where I put in a mock scrape and I left it and I'd keep going back when I, and I'd go back midday you know, never where I thought I might be jumping a deer and stuff. And I I remember it was in in second week going on second week of November. First, we'd always go first week, but it was hotter than normal. You know, we were still having 70 and 75 and almost 80 degree days that day. It was just hot. And the deer movement was, was zilch either early in the morning or late at night. And, uh, I'm, I went in and had this scrape going. And I remember one evening I had, uh, was hunting I had to finally had the wind in my favor to hunt over that scrape and I noticed as I was going and chain, checking the scrape that there was big tracks in the scrape it was being torn but the overhanging branches were just getting ripped and there were big chunks of deer poop that were in the scrape so I knew I had a mature deer there that was spending time and I remember hunting one evening in there and with a light wind but it was after sitting there about a half hour 45 minutes I hear Ch-ch-ch-ch coming up the trail and I looked and here come a button buck and as he come through I watched him and he went up to the scrape and first he went right up that scrape stuck his nose in it and okay smelled it but then I just went on his business so I didn't pay attention to that and I would say that last 15-20 minutes of uh, light here he come back and he comes right but this time he comes right back to the scrape and what I witnessed, I wish I could have filmed it, but that deer started like if you ever watched a dog rolling something dead, he would smell that scrape and then rub his, his neck in it and flip in the scrape, get back up, rub his neck in the scrape, flip, get back up, and then he would get up on his hind feet like he was jumping and taking his head and just brattling the branches, you know, he was uh he had the urge, he just didn't have the tools. But he was just rubbing his head, and all of a sudden, he stopped, and he looked back the way he came, and I could hear something walking. And, of course, in my head, I'm thinking, well, that better not be another hunter, because no one else is supposed to be here but me. And it was getting darker and darker, and all of a sudden, I look, and I could see horns and make out. Well, the button buck takes off, and he runs past me and goes about 60, 70 yards and stops and stands on the hill looking down. Well, this buck comes right straight down to the scrape and he's he's got lip crown i could tell but it's dark enough and i'm afraid to move but i could see white racket was going past his nose and i knew he was a dandy and but he was in he was that was the one that had the big poop and i'm pretty sure he was the one taking the scrape over and if you know The warm weather didn't help me for the later movement, but that was definitely him. I chose not to take the chance of, uh, number one, being spotted because we were so close. And I knew that if I blew it, I'd never get a chance at him again. And second, I didn't want to make an inhumane shot on him. You know, I wanted to make sure that I could see well enough to to put this deer down and kill him. So I chose to let this deer pass. And then finally he trotted and chased that button buck out of the woods. Now... My plan was to come back there and hunt, but the next morning, I had jumped a, a really good buck in an area where I had set mock scrapes before, and I was going to check it, and I saw a doe in the high CRP, and I kind of jumped her and ducked down, and as she went over the hill, I saw a huge buck get up and follow her, and I set a stand right then, and that was my morning hunt. Of course, I went in that morning and shot a 154-inch eight-point right out of that stand first thing in the morning, but... I that was the you know the reaction i never got to witness a young buck like that an immature you know button buck to come in but he definitely showed the aggression and definitely i was keying into what was natural but was keying an emotion that was very conducive to be able to hunt them and, and, and draw their weakness out so i've been a huge mock scrape guy like i said using buck i I will tell you that I had never used I have never used since in the last probably ten years used a dough in heat. I strictly use buck pee and um just trying to be when those bucks are in there and I keep putting that buck urine down, it just seems to keep drawing more bucks, they keep coming to that scrape. You know, I use the analogy that if you're holding the does, and, you know, when you're young and young guy and you're looking for a girl, you knew actually the hot spots where the girls hang out and and, uh, you knew if you had competition, you want to make sure that you were on your best and you know, the little ego and the, and that's kind of what I'm doing, putting the calling card out to these bucks. And as they come in and they keep hearing the other guy keep saying, Hey, you know, I'm challenging you. They keep coming in, especially the mature deer that, you know, he, he's been the swinging, swinging dick in his area for quite a while. And then all of a sudden someone new comes in. I just think it, it's drawn a natural calling card that keeps their senses down and not on the height of awareness, and um, and trying to be as scent free as I possibly can when going in there and out of there. So, you know, we're coming up. So a lot of that's done if you get that started in the early season. I've already established this the scrape line. It just makes you know these bucks when it comes, and even if it's a uh, another he's in your area and then leaves for a little bit, you know, a lot of times that'll happen. They'll be in their bachelor groups and, and all of a sudden they, they go from the summer uh, feeding to the uh, fall feeding and they start separating and um, they might go to a different area, but they'll never forget those scrapes that's in that area and that's why sometimes when the does are there and it starts getting hot, all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, I'm seeing 10, 12, 14 bucks a day in here, you know, cause I'm holding these does. So that's why um, when it comes to this early season, I'm not sitting here. I know we got gotten a late start this year, but I'm not worried about it. You know, and I know a lot of the guys who are good uh, trophy hunters and, you know, who shoot. I don't want to say trophy hunters. I, I say guys that who uh, actually target the mature deer. You know, they'll sit there and usually the first three days of October can be very good if you can know that you kept your scent out of there and, and, you know, the bucks are coming in because he hasn't been hunted yet um normally in the early october i don't hunt mornings i i try to go in the, in the evenings and then till that switches and, and usually you know you get that last week of october all the way through november morning uh, or the first of november could, the mornings are good they can be just as good as the evening then you start getting in that rut and and hopefully uh the all day is good you know watching that moon cycle but what i'm trying to say is if I'm not getting a good buck on my uh, mature deer on my camera, and that's where cameras come in. But if I'm watching, and like I said, normally when I start my mock scrapes early, you'll watch the next thing, you'll have rubs all around your stand. So I know right now I'm, I've created my own staging area. I've created a dominant center that is drawing the other bucks to wanna to be dominant. And, um, but if I'm not getting what I wanna see, why put in there and put pressure and keep your scent in there and pressuring the deer, you know? And um, I know in in, uh, in Michigan, I'll kind of make this, when we're going in and I've talked about never following a, a deer run, you know, there's squirrel hunters, there's people cutting woods all the time in the, in the or in the woods, their presence is there, their scent's there. So if I'm going in and I'm scouting, um, and I've just learned this habit, I don't care if it's spring, summer, fall, whatever. I never walk the deer run. I crisscross the deer runs going back and forth, but in Michigan, you know, because we could put bait and we could use corn. Um, a lot of guys, well, it's not ethical hunting the deer and, you know, buck over the corn, never shot the big buck over corn. What were, what to me, my value of that was holding does. I put the mock scrapes in, but I was using the corn to hold does and trying to keep does in my area. And you know, if the cool thing about it that I was getting the deer to relate is my scent with the corn So when they, I'd watch that when they come in there, they would hit my scent and, you know, I'm up in the tree stand watching this. And these deer, first thing you do is, you know, I'm back in the woods, probably 75 yards to a hundred yards but these deer would stand and they try to look towards the opening or the field opening to see if they can see me or, you know, they know that my scent is kind of strong, but they don't hesitate they'll, they'll look and once they feel calm that you know he's not in the woods right now they'll go to feeding on that corn so what i'm saying is they related my scent to that corn and it wasn't danger now that changes as soon as you kill a deer there and you draw blood on that area and then my scent's in their dragon deer you change that whole area altogether, and that spot could go dry for a little bit and uh, <clears throat> then the deer know they're being hunted but um uh, you know, it's, a lot of it's just being using common sense when you're doing this stuff. I, what I'm trying to say is that if that big buck's not in there, the trail camera is awesome. I will start watching, and when I start getting pictures of new bucks in the area, or I get the first time I get a picture of the buck that I want to shoot, then my butt is in there right away. He might only be there for two, three days until he picks a hot doe. Then he's going to pin her down, and then it's going to be almost unhuntable. To, to get him so using that camera and if you got other spots keep an eye on your camera but i'm staying out there really keeping my scent from going in there but once i get that that that, that picture of that uh, buck that i want to shoot i'm immediately uh, sitting on that stand waiting for the ambush and, and trying to tip his toenails so i hope some of this is uh you know, it's experience that I've done. It's I'm not endorsing it, whether a certain product, like I said before, I was using pure buck urine from a friend that uh, um, was raising deer. And like I said, it I, I have it for two years, kept it in the refrigerator and still had the same effect. The key of whatever I was doing, I was using real buck urine, but the key, like I said, let's get back, was taking the soil off the top, exposing the dirt, getting the scent mixed into there, and um, when it rains and everything like that, always make sure that you can go back refreshing it, especially when I'm in season. I always trying to keep that. I don't want that scrape to go dead. And, um, you know, if you keep these ideas in mind and, and then when you find the one you want, then go up and kill him. I think you get your success and what you're doing is going to just increase and it doesn't have to be like i said mature animal that's what i choose if you're looking for a two-year-old buck or if you're just looking you're not seeing you're seeing a little scrub bucks or you're seeing more does the bucks haven't showed up that's the same process why go in there and wait and hope that uh, you know i might see something and and i'm putting my scent in that area you know stay out you get a camera you see a buck that you want to shoot go in set up and and uh, put him put his nose in the dirt, but uh, anyway, I hope this stuff helps, you guys, want any questions, you can reach out to me, uh, reach out to me through social media, Instagram, Facebook, George Lynch Hunter, uh, you can email me at godlinch at gmail.com, if you have any questions, I'll be more than happy, to try to help you, whether it's hunting whitetails, waterfowl, whatever, you know, willing to help anybody but i hope you enjoyed this if you enjoy this podcast man get get your friends on it uh, try to subscribe to it we're on nine different servers and um you know it's just uh i enjoy i feel like a blessed man to be able to talk to people and other brothers out there blood brothers who like to hunt and, and you like to share the same passion i do so anyway go check us out at legendarygearusa.com and It's legendarygearusa.com. And uh, always remember to hunt safe, hunt smart, and may the good Lord be your guide. Well, I'll be out there, rain of shining, all a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough, because that's what legends are made of.